0: Well, let's take our Bibles together. We're going to look again to Nehemiah today. If you go to uh, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, you can find that in your Bibles. And we'll read together beginning in chapter 2 as we're just moving verse by verse through this great book, enjoying the study time and and reflecting with you on the truths that we're learning. Nehemiah chapter 2, let's begin in verse 1 together. In the month of Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight... "...that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it." And the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, "...how long will you be gone, and when will you return?" So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, "...if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the providence beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah." And send a letter to Asaph, the king keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was on me. For the good hand of my God was on me. We left off last week in Nehemiah chapter 1, and you'll recall that Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. He's a Jewish man who's in service to the king, Artaxerxes, who is the king of the Persian Empire. Some years before, the Babylonians had come through Israel, or Judah, and captured the city in 586 B.C., And as the Babylonian period kind of came to an end with the Persian rise among the Medes as well, we find in 539 B.C. that there was an edict by King Cyrus, the Great, that there would be a general movement of the Jews back to their homeland. Now, it would take nearly 100 years for all that to really come about, but you had a series of leaders who were leading these movements, this surge of of return to the Jewish people, including uh, Ezra, and Nehemiah, and before them Zerubbabel. The repopulating was happening, and as we read last week, one day Nehemiah's brother came to him, along with some others, and Nehemiah was given to that area. They prayed to Jerusalem uh, every day for all of his life, although he probably had never been there personally. His heart was given to Jerusalem and the people of Jerusalem, so he asked those people who had come his brother and the men who had come tell me about Jerusalem and about the people there and what he heard was a disheartening news to him the the task was far from complete that Ezra had started in Zerubbabel before him in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 3 it says the remnant there in the providence who had survived the exile in great trouble and shame the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire so that news prompted Nehemiah to have a long season of praying, four or five months of just deep praying. And if you remember from last week, he makes this prayer, which is a pretty good model for us to follow. He, he prays about the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the awesomeness of God. He prays about the character of God. And then he reflects introspectively and collectively about the people of Israel and the sin. He makes this bold proclamation of confession for the people and for himself. And then he presses towards the mercy and the grace of God that had been evident in this covenant-keeping God that, that he knew. And he just makes that his declare in, in prayer over the number of months. And we find the culmination of that prayer in writing for us at the end of chapter 1. Then at the end of chapter 1, the very last verse, we find this very personal and practical request that Nehemiah has. In verse 11, give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. I think he's talking about the the king there, Artaxerxes. Lord, give success for for, for me today and uh, in the sight of this man over here, let me find favor. And he says, now I was the cupbearer just giving us a, a reference about his life. I, I wonder how many times he prayed that prayer, just asking for God's goodness and God's grace to be given to him. I, I wonder how many times he had prayed that God would give him favor among the king on that particular day. Generally, Nehemiah wanted God to, to move in response to the confession and have, have the Lord forgive sins and then usher in this final surgence of people back in Jerusalem to give them the occupation of the land again. But he's praying in a very personal way. You hear this. He's not just praying generally for the people of Israel, for God's renewal. He's praying that God would let him have part in the renewing work of God. So he's not just generally saying, oh Lord, bring revival, but he's saying, oh Lord, bring revival and let me be participating in it. Rebuild the city, but let me be a participant in that. He's looking for God to, to move, and at the same time, he's asking God to use him in the movement. Now and bear in mind, he fully understands that this is all about the glory and the honor of God. He's seeking the mission of God, the, the place of God, the people of God. But he's saying, Lord, I know this all is up to you. Look what he says in verse 10 of chapter 1. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. So Nehemiah recognizes all this is centered to God. It's all about him, but yet he wants to be part of what God is doing. I catch glimpses of that at Meadowbrook right now. We, we find this to be the case in seasons, but this, this is one of those seasons. Wednesday night, I caught a glimpse of it in the conference center as the men were gathered, probably 55 or so were gathered in that room. And I just looked around and thought, okay, it is blistery cold outside. And yet here, these men are gathered because they want to be discipled. They want to know more about God. They want to educate each other about the things of God. They want to speak the truth of God in each other's lives. And And they're they're doing that in a rich way. The same thing was happening in the dining room with the women. Of course, the students were meeting, the kids were meeting, the worship ministry was meeting. And I'm just thinking, Lord, you're doing a work among this church. And here's people that are stirring for revival, stirring for you to renew in this community, in this city, in this church. But they're saying, Lord, do it in me. Uh, Let me be part of what you are doing. I can hear it in the conversations. I see it in the way people are engaging one another. I see it sometimes in the mornings as I'm passing through Cafe 59 and some other way I'm, I'm moving throughout the building. And I see people there praying together with their Bibles open and studying God's word. And I just see it in those kind of places where people are desperately wanting God to do a renewal work, but they want him to do that work through them. And that's that's a good thing to do. That's a good thing to seek. So many people in this church are not just sitting back and waiting on God to do something. They're saying, God, do something and let me be part of it. How incredible is that when lay people are given in that way or that pastors would be given in that way or that any of us would be given in that way. I think that's the way we ought to be Praying that the Lord would move among us. Lord, let there be a discipling movement among the congregation of Meadowbrook and let me be a discipler. That's the kind of prayer that Nehemiah is praying. Lord, call your people to genuine worship in spirit and in truth and let me be a worship leader among the people. That's the kind of prayer Nehemiah is praying. Lord, let there be Plenty of resources flooding through Meadowbrook that your kingdom might grow and expand and your mission might be accomplished and let me be empowered as a generous giver. Bless the unity of this church as I purpose to be a unifier with your Holy Spirit. So here, here's what he's, he's praying. Lord, as you do your re- renewing work and you're renewing me, let me have an active role. Could I just ask you to have that prayer? Could I ask you to have that kind of heart, that God would do a work of renewal, rebuilding, reviving in this church, and that you would be seeking him to do that work through you. Lord, let me be active in that. So you might consider praying something like this, a little audience participation time. Would would you let me just state a phrase of the prayer and you just respond out loud by repeating that? Here's the way I think we ought to be praying as a congregation and individual. Oh, Lord. Oh, Oh, you're so good. (laughs) This is your church. This is your message. This is your ministry. ministry. The people belong to to you. The glory belongs to you. Do something great in this church. And Lord, use me. That's why Nehemiah is praying. Lord, do something great in Jerusalem, but use me, please. Do something great in Gadsden, but use me. He's not going to just sit back and just wait for God to mysteriously do something. He is praying actively, God, do something. And would you have favor on me and let me be part of that? Would you let me be active in that? You say, well, that's not my personality. This has got nothing to do with you and your personality. This has got everything to do with God, his mission, his purpose, his empowerment by his Holy Spirit. We're talking about things that you cannot do on your own that would require God. That would require his empowerment, his manifestation, his presence, his glory, his word, his mission. So Nehemiah is praying that, Lord, this is your message, your mission, your people, your redeeming touch. Have favor, have grace, have mercy. You're a covenant-keeping God, but Lord, do something in me through me. I want to be part of what you're doing. So you can just hear that prayer. I hear it in the heart of people in this room, and I'm grateful for that. That brings me to sort of a summary. I've got about five of these little summaries as I'm just going to walk through this narrative. And here it is. People seeking a movement of God ought to seek God for the opportunity to move through them. So you want to pray for God's movement, but at the same time, you want to say, God, in your movement, would you have grace and let me be part of that? active in that. Accomplish what you're going to accomplish, but Lord, please use me. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Now, hopefully you've read through the book of Nehemiah, and I'm not going to make this a spoiler for you. You know the narrative. You know that God answers his prayers. He gives them the request that he's asking. In fact, God gives him favor and insight and wisdom and great discernment a leadership capacity that just was needed for the moment and it's it's all just amazing grace that God is doing here here's God that takes a cupbearer of the king of persia and makes him the governor of judah in the persian empire that's the kind of god we serve you say i'm nothing i'm mean, a nobody well you're at least a cupbearer Somebody who brings the wine to the king. And God can make a cupbearer to be a governor of the city that is called by his name. Holy unto him. That's the kind of God we serve. He takes fishermen and makes them disciples of men. He takes cheating tax collectors and makes them part of his inner circle. This is the kind of God we serve. He will move through you. He will bring you to the point where he can use you wondrously. And I pray that you're seeking him in that way. And God, God would do, use Nehemiah in an incredible way. Now to do so, he would first have to work in the heart of the king. And so Nehemiah begins to pray that God would work in the heart of the king. Because let me just remind us that working in the hearts of people is God's business. We're not very good at that business If you're trying to shape and work and and make changes to the heart of the people around you, you're in the wrong business to be able to do that. You ought to be on your knees praying that God would change the heart of the people around you and then use you in the process while he's changing their heart. That's the kind of attitude that Nehemiah had. So from Kislev to Nisan, that's around December to April, Nehemiah just spends his time praying and fasting, doing his duty, but he's praying and fasting for God to work and that God would work in the heart of the king and work in the heart of the people. Can I just remind us this, that oftentimes prayer takes patience because God's timing is not necessarily like our timing. It's the way the psalmist wrote it in Psalm, Psalm 90, and Peter picks up on that as he declares it in his second epistle. He says, Don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. In other words, you're not going to be able to see this through in your own timing, but God will see it through in his perfect timing. Just keep praying. Have patience in your prayer and keep praying. So, for four months or so, Nehemiah is praying that God would do a work. He was confident. That God would do a work. And you know why he was confident? Because Nehemiah's prayer was in perfect alignment with the word of God. Just keep on praying. Especially if it's in line with the word of God. If it is in the character and the way of God, just keep praying. And you will see that God will bring it about. And sometimes we pray for things that are not in alignment to the word of God. Ask God to give you his desires in that. I think he will. And the desires of your heart he will give when they align perfectly with him. I also think it's interesting that Nehemiah, who's a go getter, didn't just jump at it as soon as he heard the word. He didn't just sit back though, he was actively praying, waiting for God to give the right moment. He knew that the king stood in the way, he knew that God would have to work in the heart of the king, so he's holding back but actively praying, seeking the opportunity that God would give him and the king would give him, uh, grant him permission and the resources to bring about what he was asking. Then one day, Nehemiah says, as the wine was in, he brought the wine to the king. And King Artaxerxes stopped him and said, hey, why is your face sad seeing that you're not sick? What's going on with you? Now that struck fear in Nehemiah. Because around the court of the king, everything was centered on the king. Nothing was going to be centered on a servant. And now the king has brought the center of attention to the servant. And he knows that that is way out of place. For four months, he's been praying. He's been fasting. It has not been evident to the king that Nehemiah's heart is grieved desperately. Do you have that in your life sometimes? Some of you right now there's something deeply engaged in prayer that you just constantly persistently go to the Lord something heavy on your heart you can't get it off your heart can't get it out of your mind it's certainly reflected in your prayers but yet you keep on going to work you keep on going to school you keep on smiling nobody's really going to know except those who are closest to you who have joined you in prayer that's the kind of thing that Nehemiah has going on the king had no idea and I don't know why this day all of a sudden he recognized Nehemiah. His face was sad. I don't know why he's zoned in on him other than God was at work. God was working in the king's heart and Nehemiah recognized that. Here's a guy didn't wear his feelings on his sleeve. It wasn't obvious that, that he was moping and pouting about for four months but on this day in the anguish and the brokenness this day somehow that reflection came on his face and the king picked up on it. Now, I don't know, but I'm guessing that a king would want his cupbearer to be a cheery kind of guy. I don't think he wants him to be sad and moping about. I don't know that you would want a bartender that's down and out. Kay tells me you don't want a bartender (laughs) like that, but I would not know. Oh, those are the things that really get me in trouble. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure that Nehemiah most of the time was obscure, probably pleasant, but today was different. And when the attention comes to him, fear strikes in his heart. Nehemiah Could never approach the king. There's not a request that would ever be given from Nehemiah to the king. All the attention was meant to be on the king, all the service, all the desires met that the king had. That was Nehemiah's job. But now all of a sudden it's flipped. Now, rather than Nehemiah asking how he might serve the king, the king is asking how he might serve the servant. And in that moment, he knows that God is at work. And so at the end of chapter one, we get this little quick prayer. Give success to your servant today and grant me mercy in front of this man. I wonder how many days he woke up and prayed that. How many times as he's bearing the wine that day, bringing it, did he pray, Lord, please give me success today. Let me have favor among the king today. I wonder how many times he went to bed weeping on his pillow because it didn't happen that day. But this day it happened. This day he knew that God was at work and Nehemiah began to explain to him, to the king, What was on his heart? He was ready. He was rehearsed for this day. And immediately he says, how can my face not be sad when my hometown, the place where my father, my grandfather, my great grandfather, my father's, the place of my father's graves lies in ruin. The the city is broken down. The walls are gone. The, The gates are destroyed. How can I not be sad about that? And upon hearing the request comes this shocking question. What do you want me to do? Never would the king have asked a servant that question unless God was working in his heart. I just want that moment to kind of sit here for us to think about. Some of you have people in your life that you think they're never going to change. She's never going to return. She is never going to change her mind. This is never going to be different. Nehemiah would say, never say never. Keep praying. To the great Redeemer, keep praying. To the great Reconciler, keep praying. To the great Counselor, keep praying. Just one day the conversation may shift. Now you be ready. Nehemiah was ready. Be ready. So this was obviously not a a regular conversation. God had flipped the heart of the king and thereby had flipped the conversation that the king would normally have with any of his servants. What are you requesting, Nehemiah? And in that moment, every hour that Nehemiah had prayed about, every week, every month that he engaged in those prayers over and over. Number, it was coming to fruition. It was the time to express what he had undoubtedly rehearsed and was ready for. And he begins at that prompting to launch in to what he actually is longing for. Now, let me just stop for a moment because Nehemiah says, as soon as that question was raised and he gave a response, he shot up a quick prayer to the Lord. Do you have those quick prayers? I do. I mean, most often, those quick prayers come out like this while I'm seated at my desk. Lord, I don't get this. I need your help. That's just a quick prayer. Now, behind that is hours, months, and years of me praying that God would give me wisdom, discernment, and understanding of his word that I would be a good student, a disciplined student. You know, that's not in my nature of my flesh, that God would just give me opportunity to be disciplined as a student. But when I get to those moments, I just need that quick arrow prayer. And, And you've got those. So here's another summary that I've just come to, just a conclusion that I'm making as I'm working through the narrative. Short, rapid prayers are most effective for people committed to deep, authentic praying. So if all you have are these little short arrow prayers, that's not enough. But those short arrow prayers where you're just launching quickly things to God because you are constantly in his presence and you are constantly engaging in prayer. Those are really effective because they link with what is in your heart that you're expressing to him. So as Nehemiah prayed in his heart, he opened up to the king and began to express what was on his mind. This well thought out response he prepared for and and obviously was ready for. In verse 5 it says, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. I wonder how many times he prayed that in his mind. I wonder how many times he rehearsed that. Lord, when you open the king's heart and he gives me opportunity, here's what I'm going to say to him. And he is ready for it. It's, it's, a, it's a very succinct, concise, and a call for a decision to be made. That's, that's a good way when you're dialoguing with people. You're praying about God to move in their heart. And Lord, if you move in their heart and I get the opportunity, here's what I'm going to say. Here's the gospel I'm going to share with him. Here's the hope I'm going to give to them. Just be ready. I was talking to somebody the other day who was longing to share the gospel with somebody and it's sort of kind of dancing around My prayer for all of us is that we would be praying for those moments of opportunity and when the conversation flashes in some spiritual way, you know that there is nothing spiritually good in us. So whenever it happens that we begin to talk in a spiritual way or anybody else talks in a spiritual way, you know the Holy Spirit is at work. And Lord, when I sense that moment of your working, here's what I'm going to say. And you be prepared for that. Be ready to launch into that. That's exactly what Nehemiah was doing. His heart was given to that. He was praying about it. And he was responding to this, uh, this need. So he says, oh, King, I'm loyal to you and you only, if it pleases you. And I hope that you'll honor what I have done for you, given my life and service to you, If I found favor in your eyes. And then he calls for the question. Would you send me in your name to go back to Judah and rebuild the city of Jerusalem? Is there somebody in your life that you're praying for? That God would work in them? Are you praying that somebody would be saved? That they would be open to the gospel and be repentant of their life? trusting in Jesus, a family member maybe who you long to walk in the way of Jesus Christ, someone you're praying for who's a friend or a coworker who is apathetic or maybe even rejects the gospel, rejects the Bible, could I encourage you to fast and pray? Spend the time, energy, fasting and praying for that individual, and then seek God's grace for the opportunity when it arises that you would be immediate in that. Don't hesitate. And then ready to respond. Watching for the opportunity. Seizing the moment. The moment it happens. Not letting fear choke the words in your mouth. And just just uh, move forward in it. Uh, Brandon, I think you shared... Uh, I think it was a podcast from Ray Comfort who was... Uh, Well known for his gospel presentation, always ready to give an answer to the gospel. And people are asking him about it. He goes out and does witness campaigns in in open marketplaces, And I heard him say the other day, you probably have heard him say this as well, that when he goes up to somebody, he immediately starts talking towards the gospel. And uh, the people he was talking to, he doesn't hesitate. He just jumps right in it. And Ray said, let me tell you why I do that. And he's witnessed to hundreds of thousands of people. Let me tell you why I do that. Because if I stop, if I linger, I'll talk myself out of it. How about that? He's known for his boldness. But yet he knows that if he doesn't launch immediately, that he will lose courage. So pray fast for the heart of that individual Seek the opportunity that God will open the opportunity. And when the opportunity arises, be ready to give your response immediately. Don't, don't linger. Don't lag. Don't pause. Just move forward immediately. He was a prepared man. Now, here's a summary that I couldn't help but just jot down when I was working through this personally. Faith is not negated by good preparation and planning. You say, oh, that, it's, a, it's a seasoned uh, expression that you have. It, it's, a, it's a prepared gospel presentation. It's, it's words that you've been preparing for a, a while. Sure, because I have faith that God is going to open the opportunity for me to share it. I want to be ready to that. Faith is not negated by our preparation. It's not negated by our planning. In fact, it's... An expression of our faith. So Nehemiah prepared, he planned, and was waiting for the sign. And when he saw it, he had faith that God was giving him the opportunity. And the king would hear and be gracious towards him. So pray that God would move in the hearts of people, ready to respond immediately when they do so. And have that conversation with them that you planned. Now Nehemiah knew that God was at work. It's sort of like uh, Proverbs 21 says that uh, the heart of the king is like a stream in the hands of the Lord. He moves it, turns it where he wills. So he knew that God was working in King Artaxerxes' heart, and he was moving him. And he gets everything that he asked for he gets the letters, he gets the timber that's needed for the The gates for his own house. He gets an army. He gets horsemen. He gets gets everything and more that he asked for because God's grace was upon him. He granted him. Look what he says in chapter 2 verse 8. The king granted me what I asked for for the good hand of my God was upon me. Can we just pause for a moment and just reflect how Nehemiah knew and understood the goodness of God in this moment? Are you... Pausing and responding in the goodness of God in your life when you see it happening. It's the very character of God, the goodness of God. I'm not just talking about that God does good things. I'm telling you, God is good. And the good hand of our God is upon us. Listen to how the psalmist describes this over in Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? Good, Good, of course. Or Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is... His steadfast love endures forever. Look what he says in Psalm 145. For the Lord is... Good to all. His mercy is over all that he has made. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, that's just the way God always is. God is good. And so... We ought to treasure and trust the good hand of our God. Could I ask you to remember that phrase? "The good hand of our God." It's a phrase that's caught my attention the last several days, as just reflected on this passage. Would you consider adding that to your prayers? Adding it to your conversations? Uh, Father, we just sit down at this meal and we just thank you for the good hand that you have placed upon us. Obviously, we have food on the table and a warm house to eat it in. Thank you for your good hand being upon us. Me and mine knew exactly where this goodness was. But I need to warn you. Just because you have the good hand of God upon you does not mean... That you will not face opposition. Look in verse 9 of chapter 2. Nehemiah says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. That ought to, ought to be good, right? You've got the letters of the king saying everything he wants, everything he needs, I've given to him. Now the king had sent With me, officers of the army and horsemen. My goodness, he sent his own regiment. That's incredible. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Now these guys, Sanballat and Tobiah, they are going to be the nemesis. They're going to be the thorn of the flesh of Nehemiah for a good while. They had already been against the people of Israel. In fact, when Zerubbabel and then later Ezra came to start the beginnings of this renewal process, it was those two guys who wrote King Artaxerxes and said, hey, you need to stop this. These people, they're not your people. They're not for you. So here we recognize you can be right in the center of the will of God, with the good hand of God upon you, walking in his favor, and still experience significant opposition. The culture that surrounds us is opposed to God's word. You and I know that. They're opposed to his will and way, and they are opposed to the people of God. And I can tell you over the next number of decades, I believe that is going to strongly increase. So the more you and I draw near to God, the more people are going to push in resistance against us. The more we preach the unchanging word of God on this platform, the more polarizing it will be to those who are progressively moving away from God and his word the more we share the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ that all people are born in sin choose and remain in sin and they are dead in their sin but god who judges and condemns sinners, acted in love and mercy by sending his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, full of righteousness and truth to die in our stead on Calvary's cross that we, the unrighteous, might have his righteousness. And when we declare that kind of truth, people are going to resist us every step of the way. When we say, rightly so, that there is but one way to heaven, and his name is Jesus Christ. One door by which everyone must enter, and his name is Jesus Christ. One king of kings, one lord of lords, one ruler over all, and his name is Jesus Christ. When we declare that to be the case in this world, they will come against us. When we talk about the natural ways that God has created things in the order and the way it, it uh, comes about and people who are resistant to the way of God push against us, we need to remember we are right in the center of God's will, but yet experiencing the oppression of the darkness of the world. The more you and I walk in the light, those who are eager to continue to walk in darkness will bring opposition against us. This is the way it is. We did not think that our master who was persecuted as the truth and the light would not be persecuted alone. But those who follow him would be persecuted as well. You can be perfectly in the will of God. And if so, expect the opposition of the world. Which leads me to that last conclusion. Expect opposition even as you live and declare the victorious gospel. Right in the center of God's will. Just expect that you're going to experience opposition. But in that, we find that God is faithful. We find that he will bring about his will, regardless of the opposition. He will right the ship, and in the day, even where vengeance is required, God will do the repaying. God will bring this about so that he is glorified in the end. And all people point to his glory. So stay the course amid opposition. Don't forsake the Lord your God or his purposes. For great is the faithfulness of God. Great is the faithfulness of God. So here's our wrap up. Oh Lord, as you work in renewal and revival and rebuilding, use me. Use me, please. And Lord, as I engage you in prayer, I engage you in deep, introspective prayer. Let me be in your presence such that I can instantly shoot these quick thoughts to you as I chart my day in your will. Lord, I will plan and prepare for faithfulness, faithful declaration. I put my trust in your good hand for your good hand has been upon me all these years. And Lord, I trust your faithfulness even when opposition comes against me as I walk in your way. So help us, God. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray for a reviving of hearts to your purposes, to your ways, to your mission and ministry, to your word. And as you work in that renewing, Lord, use each of us. Use us effectively, efficiently for your honor and glory. Help us, Lord, to engage in deep prayer for people who are around us, people who we know and some we don't know. As you would draw them to yourself, Lord, use us and let us be prepared and planned, ready to speak your gospel truth, ready at any moment to give an answer for the hope we have. And Lord, we thank you that your good hand is upon us, helping us, meeting every need according to your riches and glory. Help us even in the face of opposition to be faithful to you, continuing to pursue you. And I pray that would bring honor and glory to King Jesus. In whose name we pray this prayer. Amen.